Hello and welcome to Just Bugs, an appreciation podcast for those oft-ousted creatures we humans call bugs, despite their official classifications. I'm your host, Savannah, and today I have my co-host, Matt, with me. Ooh, welcome <laughs> to episode two of October Spooky Bug Month. <laughs> Is that good? Yeah, that was perfect. I loved it. I was like, don't go Dracula, don't go Dracula. <laughs> I was trying to hold the ghost. You did it. It was very nice. I wasn't expecting it, and it was it was a delightful surprise. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like maybe we should get some different episode music for just October next year. Only if you want to find it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, this is gonna be a very exciting episode. This is another listener request. This one is from Summer Williams. It is from actually a very long time ago, uh, but I wanted to save this bug for Halloween times. Yes, if you uh, request a spooky bug, be prepared to probably wait a while. Yeah, <laughs> maybe wait a little. Uh, they uh, they requested it last November, so <laughs> it's been a, a minute. So sorry about that. But the time is hooray! now. It's here now. Yeah, it is. Ready? I'm ready. Okay. It's the Death's Head Hawk Moth. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah, have you heard of these? I have heard of this, yes. Um, I, don't, I haven't really seen them or anything, but um, I know they're featured in a film of which I've seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they are. We'll get into great detail about that later. Well, as much detail as we can while keeping it PG. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, the scientific genus, I guess I'm going to go with genus first and then I'll break it down a bit, is <clears throat> Archerontia. Archerontia. Mm-hmm. There are three species, all of which are death's head hawk moths, but they're all from different regions, so they got different names, kind of. I'll break those down for you within the episode for each species to help, like, clarify the differences. They are A, a tropos, which is the African death's head hawk moth, A, styx, which is the less lesser death's head hawk moth, and the, ooh, this one is a little harder, <laughs> A... Lechesis, which is the greater death's head hawk moth. Okay. Mm-hmm. They range in size from three and a half to five inches, so regardless, pretty big. Uh, and the females are larger larger and more vivid than the males are. And that's like wingtip to wingtip? Yes. It's the Yes. Also, their bodies are pretty big, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're a very big species. They've got these fuzzy, stout bodies that are pretty thick. And they've got cute little clawed feet. There's three pairs of them. They are an insect. And here's where they get really interesting, their coloration. So they are yellow, brown, and black with some kind of like camouflage on the forewings. But their underbelly is like yellow or brown or that sort of thing. But the thorax depicts this vaguely human skull pattern most defined on the African species, but is present on all of them. So they have this little skull or face-looking feature on their thorax. Yeah, to call it a skull is a little bit of a stretch Mm -hmm. based on what I'm looking at, but it definitely looks like some kind of a face. So that's probably where they get its name. Um, The one I'm looking at is like a black and like an orangey yellow, and it actually looks really cool and very furry. Very fluffy species, very fluffy. yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah, they they do. Yeah, the the skull thing. I see it if you're really trying to see it. If you want to see it, yeah. If you want to see it, it's there. If it's if you don't, 
It's not. <laughs> it's a cool pattern, and I will say probably one of the most uh, pettable bugs, at least from what I can tell. Good. Look at you considering. I didn't say petting. I pet it. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. So they had a they had a bug petting zoo. I think this would be one of the main attractions. I agree with that statement. I do agree with that. <laughs> with that. They do have two eyes. They are compound and shiny and black. They also okay. So we're gonna get into their anatomical defenses. They've got coloration on their wings, not the one that you're looking at, Matt, but some of them have spots on their wings that look almost like eyes. And then if you're looking at it like that, from upside down, it looks like eyes and a nose. The skull formation on the thorax looks like a nose upside down when they're the eye species. So they they do have like a vague face-like thing just to protect them from predators. Because predators are like, ah, that's big. Yeah, it makes it look like it's a big creature and then it's like a deterrent method kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yes, and then another deterrent that they have for predators is that their underbellies, like I mentioned, can be like yellow. And they will sometimes like flash them just to kind of like scare scare a predator away. Like, wow, like like shiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one's always odd to me. It's like, look, I'm bright. It's like yes. interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So also their color pattern on the darker parts of their wings, like I mentioned, almost has like a camouflage effect. There's like a lot of different variation and pattern and color on there. So that can help them blend into their environment. All seems pretty useful. Agreed, yes. There is one more anatomical, questionable maybe defense. They emit this loud chirping noise if they get messed with. And to preface, like the most most of the rest of their defense adaptations, I'm actually going to break down. There's like a lot, (laughs) but the chirping is something that I will show you guys a little bit later i'm gonna play it for you but first i want to break down the rest of their defensive adaptations because like there's a lot that have specifically to do with their food source which i should mention is honey Ooh. yes so nat geo did a study and found that their epipharynx was modified to make their sound but originally was for sucking up honey very interesting yeah mm-hmm. it produced it's produced, the sound is produced by inhaling and exhaling air, which vibrates the epipharynx, and it works almost like an accordion, which interesting. is really interesting to me. Yes, this is a, uh, originally to collect honey, but it also can make a noise, kind yes, of. Yes, exactly. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it's hypothesized as a defense mechanism to scare predators, but it also could be that it's supposed to mimic the queen bee's sound when she invades, or when they invade a hive. Oh. Yeah. So I'll play it for you now. Let's see if we can hear it. I don't know if any of that went through. <laughs> hopefully you can hear it on the yeah, recording. Hopefully, and uh, if not, I tried, I'll try to add it later. Okay, thanks for that. But yes, they do break into beehives. From the outside, sort of. So when they're not breaking... Not from the inside, no, incognito. They're, no, they're a little too big for that. Wearing little bee costumes. Oh, how cute would that be? Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. It would be cute. Anyway, they when they're breaking into these beehives, they're able to produce this bee-like scent to help them be very, very sneaky. 
And they also have thick cuticles on the outside surface of them, which shields them from getting stung by bees. They also may be partially resistant to bee venom and their claw feet help them to climb onto the surfaces of the beehive. And um, yeah, that's like a lot of stuff for just beehive <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, it seems like that that must be like a real prime food source to the point where they like have adapted to have the ultimate defense to steal from bees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, they have. But yeah, they like bees. Well, they like bees food. <laughs> Where are they located, though? Let's get into that a little bit. So as you can assume, the African species, native to Africa. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> they do display migratory behavior, though. So if they fly north during warmer weather and south when it gets colder. I believe that each of the species do this, but the African species migrates to Europe. And oh. Yeah, and it can also be found in parts of Asia, such as Saudi Arabia and India. Very cool. Mm-hmm. The lesser death-head hawk moth is throughout eastern continental Asia, so specifically eastern China, Japan, and down through Thailand and the archipelago islands. Cool. The lesser one. Not as good. Oh, he's good. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's a little bit smaller than the that other. That would be my guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then the greater death-head hawk moth is found in India and Sri Lanka. What about the greatest? I think... Um, that's really just up to, to preference. <laughs> <laughs> so we did mention that they eat honey. They are known as bee robber moths. They have strong tongues that poke holes on the outside of the beehives and suck the honey from the honey pots. These poor bees. Well, they're fine. <laughs> the Asian species, otherwise known as the lesser, is known to do the same with yuzu fruits. I don't know what a yuzu fruit is. It's like a citrus. Oh. Yeah, it's like a citrus fruit. Hmm, we should get the other guys some fruits so they can save the bees. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know that they're doing damage necessarily to the bees' livelihood. It's just putting them just back. Just stealing, you know, their, their food resources <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what eats, uh, what eats the death head hawk moth, though? I mean, I'm, I can guess the usual suspects. Yeah, it's mostly Birds, lizards, um, what's something random? Hmm, cats? I don't know. Probably cats. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Cats eat literally everything. <laughs> Fish? Yeah. Would that be random enough? Fish is very random. Not one of their predators, <laughs> though. So, yes, birds, reptiles. No, none of those flying fish are going to eat them? No. They, well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Frogs, toads. Uh, bats. Bats were one. Bats is good. Mm -hmm. And then predatory insects. So specifically, they eat the larvae that's like freshly hatched because they're a little bit smaller. And squishier and, and yummier. Yes, exactly. And they're all, the larvae are also parasitized by the tachinid flies, which we mentioned. They, the, they the what? Tachinid flies. Tachinid flies. We did mention those. perhaps tachinid. <laughs> perhaps tachinid. Yeah. So they, uh, parasitize the larvae. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Indubitably. Guess what time it is? Is it your favorite time? Yeah. Let's do it. It's reproduction time. So, unfortunately, um, the reproduction, like, mating part, it's not super clear. I couldn't actually find anything on it, except that they do so at nighttime. Is and this your favorite part because it's the most interesting? Uh, no, it was a joke that you made early on, and I just kind of stuck with it. Is it my favorite part? Not really. I think the cool oh, stuff is I my favorite. Oh, did I just say it's your favorite part, and then yes. every time you say it's your favorite part? No, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I don't even think it's kind of my favorite part, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is now. Okay, great. Anyways, they do mate at night and it lasts until morning, but that's pretty much all I know about their mating rituals. They find one another, they decide to mate. That's what I got for you. Oh, okay. Yes. So, but I can get into sort of the young and all that stuff. So eggs are laid one at a time. They are a greenish, bluish gray color. And they're usually hatched between five and ten days after being laid. And they're laid on, like, the the underside of old leaves or of their host plants, which are potato plants and sometimes tomatoes and woody nightshades and jasmine and common buckthorn. They See, they always pick the good plants. It's so Mm. interesting. It doesn't even sound like they're eating them. They're just like... I think the larvae do. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I guess maybe if it's good to eat like the fruit or the the vegetable or whatever, then maybe the leaves taste good also. Uh, Maybe. I mean, it seems that way. I'm trying to think of a single vegetable of which I've had the leaves. And I know there's one out there. Can't get there right now. Don't know what (laughs) it is. That's okay. Okay. Great. (laughs) they are not restricted to a single plant family though so they can use like any of those host leaves yeah yes the oh i already got that part they are greenish or bluish or grayish etc the larva though the caterpillars hatch from the eggs and are variable in color but they all have like a curved tail horn they can be green brown or like a buff color and what's a buff color like a tan. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got seven diagonal dark blue lines on, you know, the surface of their body. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was like buff color. Is that like a, you know, shiny spray tan color or something? I think that, <laughs> I think the term buff comes from like the nude or like nude colors, AKA in the buff. So like skin I never heard tones. In the buff, but are really, right. it's, it's naked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Yes, but they can get to be five to six inches, so a lot bigger than their adult counterparts. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, so that's 13 to 15 centimeters for those of you who don't do the Wait, dumb... Wait, what? what is so big? The caterpillars. The caterpillars are bigger than the adult form? Yes. I was like, oh, and I'm like, wait a minute, what does that mean? <laughs> yes. Sorry, we got sidetracked. The caterpillars, bigger than the adults, yes. The larvae can actually be pretty aggressive, uh, not really advised to mess with them particularly. They will click their mandibles or even bite you if they're threatened, and their mandibles are pretty big because they're pretty big. So, hmm, Interesting that they're more aggressive when they're in the, the wormy form than mm-hmm. in the flying form. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're more, they encounter more predators. But yeah, they're probably way more vulnerable. Right. Mm. That is true. That Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't really know how vulnerable a moth is. I feel like probably still vulnerable, but the flying probably helps. Well, they'd probably be way tastier in the in the slinky worm form. So maybe I think Timona and Pumbaa would agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So the larva will burrow into the ground and that's like eight to ten inches down. So pretty far in there in order to get to their like pupa stage. They make a chamber the size of about like a large chicken egg to pupate in. Ooh. Yeah. And they take like three to five weeks to grow down there. In a little dirt house. We haven't had a dirt house in a while. It's been a while since we had a dirt house. And eight to ten inches down is pretty low for a bug. It's a nice chimney. Yeah. I don't think they really, I don't think the chimney's the goal, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) The pupa are a reddish brown 
color, almost like a kidney bean color, and they pupate for about a month, which is, you know, three to five weeks. It's variable. Yeah, I right, gotcha. Right, right. Once they reach adulthood, though, they only live about six weeks, which we see a lot with, like, moths and butterflies, but it's still sad. Why? They just don't get to be alive for long? Because they're cool. They are Duh. cool. They, well, I know that some things that have a short adult life, like, don't even have, like, mouths right mouth parts is that is that the case here no they steal the honey remember oh that's right (laughs) forgot already (laughs) yeah the things that live for like a week are usually the ones that don't oh yeah they don't even eat as adults right right so are they social not really they're pretty solitary beings um they're pretty big i feel like a lot of the times when there's a bigger bug they're more solitary that is the case here for sure Mm. are they rare I mean, it's uncommon to see them in nature, but that's mostly because they're nocturnal. Like, it's not most, it's not really just because, like, they're super rare. Yeah, that's fair. There could be a, so many of them at night, but how are you going to see them? Right. How you know, you won't even know they're there. Right. Unless you're just, like, out there looking for bugs at night, which, like. That's a good idea. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, wear some night <laughs> vision goggles and go out there. Love that plan for you. And for me, honestly. We should do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so are they dangerous? The adults are in no way dangerous. They can't sting you. They don't bite. They're, they're pretty harmless. However, the, they are believed to be poisonous. So don't eat them. They're believed to be? Yeah. So the, specifically the A. atropos, the, uh, little guys, larva, there we go, the caterpillars, Feed heavily, yeah. They feed really heavily on potato plants, which like sounds yummy. Yeah, but um, potato plants actually can be pretty toxic if consumed the way that they are. Not just potatoes, but like the plants that they are connected to. Yeah, yeah. They're actually they contain a lot of toxins. So if you eat something that eats a lot of toxins, it's pretty toxic. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, it's like a concentrated yeah toxic bomb. Yeah. Did you know that that's why poison dart frogs are so poisonous? Why? Because they eat something poisonous? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they were making that stuff. Yeah, so you can actually take a poison dart frog out of its environment, and in like two weeks, it's not poisonous anymore. Isn't that crazy? That is really cool. Yeah, I think that's It probably is because like, if it's eating something poisonous, things won't eat it, so it's like, it's a good trade. Plus food. Plus plus eating food is good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. (laughs) But yeah, not advised to eat a moth, you could die. Yeah, I mean, it's not that appetizing anyway. No, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to eat something that's super fluffy with no, legs. Yeah. That doesn't sound like. Yeah, we don't great. eat very many, very much hairy food. It's not good. I'm trying to think of anything hairy I've ever eaten. Kiwi. Will you eat the outside of the kiwi? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is their environmental impact? We're talking about bees. They do disrupt their hives. They also can eat potato plants, which you know, like. People don't love that. That's crops. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, they live pretty happily within their ecosystem. So, like, they disrupt the beehives, but I don't know that they're really damaging it to a point where the bees won't survive it. I think it's mostly just inconvenient. Yeah, I'm going to give them three out of five on the environmental negative impact scale. I think that's fine. <laughs> I'll accept this. <laughs> after, after months of research, that's what I've come to. Three out of five um, skull, vague skulls. That's how much I give them. I like it. It's <laughs> good. <laughs> we have reached my actual favorite part of the episode, the cool stuff. Oh, so this is your actual favorite I part. I think so. 
either this or like the danger part. Sometimes the danger part's really danger. 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 <laughs> danger. So spooky. Oh, I forgot this was a Halloween episode. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> spooky danger. <laughs> Time for the cool part, though. There's a lot of lore behind the Death's Head Hawk Moth. So they've been featured for centuries in art and stories and things like that. Their combination of that loud squeak and the symbol on their thorax relates humans to the idea of death for some reason it has for centuries. They are associated with the supernatural and with evil. There's a superstition that if one flies into your house, it will bring bad luck or death. See, I just don't like those kind of superstitions because it's like, I mean, just because someone left the sliding door open mm-hmm. doesn't mean you should have, like, to think that someone's going to die. Like, this seems a little extreme. I agree. <laughs> I agree. But, you know, that's... But either way, keep your doors closed, just in case. <laughs> just in case. And keep to... the... It's probably the lights on, honestly. honestly keep them... Watch those lights. Yeah. To help Live this case of, of this possibly being a true omen, ooh, <laughs> spooky, King George III... <laughs> That's not so spooky, but here we go. King George! (laughs) When he was in his second bout of major madness in 1801, he had two of those at least, (laughs) apparently. There were two separate death's head hawk moths in his bedchambers. I mean, if he left a window open is what it sounds like to me. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, But you, interesting fact... You can actually find one of these exact moths that were in his bedchambers at the University of Cambridge. One was collected by the king's physician and was brought there. I wonder how they kept it preserved. I mean, I imagine it wasn't recently. Taxidermy. <laughs> Some of those, like, taxidermy stuff are really, really old. Oh, really? They yeah. last a long well, time. A very long time. Very cool. Yes. Wait, when was he around? I don't even know. It was like hundreds 1801? of 1801! Oh, okay. Well, that's not that long. Well, what? It was a while. <laughs> it was a very long time. It's been a while. <laughs> But yes, anywho, all three of the scientific names, new fun fact, just cut that one there, start a new one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the new chapter begins. All three of the scientific names for the Death's Head Talk Hawk Moths that we t- talked about up top, they all have uh, like an inkling of Greek mythology to them. Ooh, so I love Greek mythology. Yeah. So the first, Atropos or Atropos. Atropos sounds much more correct. Yeah, I agree with that. Comes from the three Moriah goddesses of fate and destiny who cut the thread of life for the for all of us. They're in Hercules. They are, yes. So apparently they're called, or one of them is called the Atropos or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one. Then the second is a member of the Moriah. That decided that decides the the correct lifespan at the beginning of life. And that's that's the uh, the lesser one. No, the greater one. The greater what? Of the death head moth, hawk moths. Oh, okay. I didn't write down the name because I'm not smart. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, the one that decides the length of life is probably the most important. Greater is better, and all is well. Okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the third sticks signifies the river of the dead. The river sticks. Yes, we can get a nice boat ride for a nominal fee. Uh, Yeah, the nominal fee of your life. It's like a gold coin or something. Why do they have to have a? Oh, okay. I think to pay passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems unfair. (laughs) 
Like you just die. Nine it's just like you die, and then yet there's like a, a bus waiting for you, and they're like, "Oh, it's two bucks." And like, oh, I didn't bring my wallet. Oh and man, it's you're in purgatory forever. That's awful. <laughs> That's terrible. Poor poor whoever didn't have coins. I guess. Anyways, the genus name. Pay. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so those are the three species names. Then the genus names comes from Acheron, which is a river in Greece. It in mythology. Isn't Charon also the guy who drives the stick boat? Charon is. This is a a Acheron, a Charon. It's different. A Charon. A Charon. A Charon. A mountain. A boat. Okay, a boat is better. <laughs> a mountain. Why would there be a chair on a mountain? <laughs> Good views. <laughs> Anyways, it's a river in Greece. In mythology, it's thought to lead to the underworld. So you know. The Not, rivers, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes it's used interchangeably with the underworld in general. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. So, that's all the Greek mythology stuff. I have more stuff, though. I like it. Yes. A. Atropos is the fastest moth in the world by speed. It can fly up to 30 miles per hour. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's the same as the top speed of a brown or black bear. So, that's, like, wicked fast. Yeah, and like you know how they like to like run into my face, like that yes. makes me a, a little worried. Thirty miles an hour and being like so giant, yeah, like that, would, that could knock you out. I feel like maybe it or could, at least maybe. be like, ow! It definitely would hurt. I mean, I guess it depends on where it hits you. Um, I don't know. Okay, yeah. The next <laughs> one. Uh, this is the. I think it's the last cool thing I have for you guys. Nope, there's more. Okay, <laughs> this one is kind of a big one, though. So, A. Styx is featured really heavily in the film Silence of the Lambs. Now... I love this movie. It's great. Disclaimer, it is a relatively graphic horror film, and I'm I'm going to keep this whole section where I explain the relevance of this insect in this movie, like, pretty it's okay. PG. okay, I'll say it up front. This, this movie is for adults, so, Very if, much you're, so. if you're younger, just make sure you don't watch it till you're older. Yeah, please don't. Like, I know, like, you know, sometimes kids watch stuff because they're like, I'm cool. But, like, don't, though, on this one. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, starring Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling and Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill and Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. The movie is about a serial killer. And the deaths had Hawkmoth's relevance in this, but it actually plays, like, a really big role in the movie. Like, the whole movie's pretty much about it. Aside from the fact that it's about a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> so the killer uses the moth as a symbol of his victims in the last moments of their life. So when he kills somebody, he leaves a death hod- a death's head hawk moth with them. Yeah. That's as, that's as much as I'm going to give you on that. Then the moth is also used within the film as a general symbol of death and also of change. So the moth is often seen as a symbol of death in like omens and history, as I mentioned. So its presence in the film makes a lot of sense, and especially with the murders and all of that. Then there's the symbol for change, which is more to do with the fact that the animal is a moth. The moths go through metamorphosis, therefore there's significant change happening there. This makes sense. Yeah, we've seen this movie a couple times, and uh, it's I never knew any of the backstory. I was just like, oh, there's moths for some reason. Mm-hmm. But like, I just thought it was cool, you know, because they have big skulls on them and stuff, and... It just was went nice with the theme, but it it, I, it's good to know that it went deeper than that, like when analyzing it from the other side. Yeah, and like they actually get, they address the fact that this moth is significant in the movie. One of the characters actually has a quote where they're kind of relaying the moth 
to the relevance. Mm. And it's the significance of the moth has changed caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa and from thence into beauty. Chrysalis is incorrect. It's cocoon, but that's not important. Movies it don't sounded it cooler. Right. It does sound cooler. Sometimes you have to change like facts to make them cooler. Also, movies like they got a lot on their hands, you know? Yeah. I they mean, don't they, need they're, a they're, doing other <laughs> they're not doing research. <laughs> but yes, metamorphosis plays a key player in the movie. The main character, Clarice, changes a lot as a person throughout the movie, and the killer also enjoys changing his appearance. Again, that's as detailed as I'm going to get that's on that. That's good enough. And that is all I have for that movie, Silence of the Lambs. If you are an adult and you are interested in hearing more of our take on the details of how this moth relates to this movie, we actually did a... What would you call collab. it? Collab. Yeah, a collab with Insects for Fun a while back. And within that movie, we or within that episode, we talk about movies and their relevance to insects. And there's a whole section where I get very detailed on this film. So go check it out there if you are an adult, not a child. Yeah, and it's on and their podcast. Yeah, it's we on did theirs. one with them, but we didn't cover the movie stuff. We covered movie stuff on his on podcast. his. Yeah. So if you guys want to check that out, another cool bug podcast, very different format than ours, but still fun you guys should go check it out go check out that episode if you're an adult and you are cool with gross stuff cool <laughs> all right <laughs> moving on from silence of the lambs there are actually a lot of other films that feature death's head hawk moths it is in they are in 1958's dracula 1967 blood beast terror sounds interesting um the taiwanese horror film the tag along from 2015 2018 spanish films the warning and also featured in Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Sphinx, and lots more. But. I haven't watched any of those or read that, but, but they're yeah, all... now we got a list of things to watch. Indeed, and they're all very spooky themed. Yeah, they're, they're all, all like, Halloween-y. Definitely Halloween <laughs> movies. But yes, they're also featured a lot in art in general. They're very common as a subject for tattoos, like very common. That makes sense. I can totally see someone having like a bunch of these on their arm or something. Yeah. And they're no stranger to oddity shops. They're heavily taxidermied. They're also seen in a lot of art dating back to like 1850s. So like 1801. Right. Well, that was art. But yeah, they're history. A lot of people hold them and hang out with them and own them as pets and that sort of thing. So like they're they're just like a really cool bug. Yeah, they definitely uh have a nice look to them. If I was a collector of dead things, this would probably be on my list. Yeah, I am a collector of dead things. It is on my list. <laughs> yeah. You don't have one yet. I don't. Well now I don't I feel like I gotta stop buying dead stuff. I don't have anywhere to put it. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, <laughs> what are you gonna do? That is all that I have for you guys on the Death's Head Hawk Moth. Hey, that was pretty cool. There was a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, I don't have any shout outs this week. Um, While they're a very popular insect, it kind of like it's hard to find macro of them because so many people have them as pets and as taxidermy and as tattoos. So when you search Deadhead Hawk Moth on Instagram, it's just pages and pages of stuff that I can't use. Yeah. So we'll see what I can figure out for for this. If I do find something, I'll shout them out on the next one. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's send it home, I guess. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This stuff with the things. So Instagram, Just Bugs Podcast on Instagram. And Gmail. That one's a good one. We've yeah, been if getting... you got stories, uh, listener requests. We've actually got lots of both yeah, of those, which yeah, has yeah, been yeah. sweet. I it's mean, really we're going to cool. be, you know, laying them out over time as they come up in appropriate 
holiday seasons, I yeah, guess. I don't the, know. I do have like some plans for all the holidays, but in general, I take them as they come in and unless it's like beetle, 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 beetle. <laughs> and then yeah. I kind of like mix it up a little bit because you guys really love beetles and moss. Like th- <laughs> that is your jam. <laughs> it's good stuff. But yes. So definitely send us all your stuff there. I've been getting a lot of like cool, not necessarily corrections, but like enhancements of different things that we've talked about. So I always like throw those in in the next episode or there's one that I'm waiting to do because it's like a whole episode I'm going to cover. Mm. Yeah. So that'll be cool. But yeah, always that's at justbugspodcast at gmail.com. So send all your stuff there. Also, we do have a Patreon. Uh, Yeah, we have a new patron. Patron is Cameron Edwards. Thank you so much, Cam. Hey, thank you. Yes, very much. Yeah, they actually sent in a whole episode idea that I can't wait to cover. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. Very different. Going to be very exciting. Also, they do have a wildlife sanctuary. Their micro sanctuary is Stillwater Micro Sanctuary, where they take care of birds and fish. That's awesome. They also sent in some cute pictures of their tarantula, and I love. Oh, it's so cute. Look at Oh. Adorable. Best fighter. <laughs> and their tarantula is a Chilean rose tarantula named Rex. Rex. Oh, yeah. And they she just celebrated her 12th, 20th birthday. The, the tarantula. I didn't know they lived that long. Uh, yeah. I think we covered them. I think usually they don't live as long as that, but yeah. I guess so. <laughs> 20 years. That's amazing. So, yeah. Jeez. Thank you so much to Cam. And we will definitely cover that episode. Go check out their sanctuary to give them donations for their cool work that they do. Oh, yes, please do. And if you want to join our Patreon, it's uh, growing slowly and hopefully we'll have more fun stuff over there. We're trying to figure out what is appropriate, but we're we're working on it. We want to bring you guys more stuff that you want. So we're, we're, we're working on that for sure. But yeah, that's at Just Bugs on Patreon. Is there more stuff? Oh, rate, review. Oh, yes. Rate and review the show. Uh, That helps people find the podcast. And uh, on whatever podcast platform uh, you prefer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's it. That's it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, don't squish bugs. Don't squish bugs. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. 